And welcome to another exciting episode of the SoCal Showdown Podcast, your number one source for everything involving USC and UCLA college football, the greatest rivalry in all of college sports. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Josh Rishibata, representing the sinking ship that is the USC Trojans of Southern California. And I don't feel it's getting any better. Uh, we'll go into that as we get into this podcast. And alongside with me, uh, my, co- my co-host, my friend of me for life, representing those uh, UCLA Bruins that, you know, have a maybe a bright future ahead of them, uh, Anthony Fletcher. Anthony, how are you feeling today? Oh, you know, freezing my tail off here in Texas. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise doing well. I'm happy to, that we're... We're winning somewhere. Yeah. Actually, funny that you mentioned that. Like you phrased it the way that you did. I will do a callback uh, when we discuss about the about Coach Helton's response to how well or how unwell USC did on this early signing day but that's basically what we're going to be talking about uh ladies and gentlemen uh fans of our podcast this episode is the early signing day uh podcast and for those of you who do not know recruiting and signing day is really a lot of fun for those diehard college football fans because basically this is the chance for you to kind of look to the future of what's in store for your favorite college team for your alumna or uh, alma mater and to seeing what future stars you might have in the making and uh you know usually uh there's just one signing day and technically the signing day for this 2020 class is february 5th but starting last year We've instituted a early signing day, which, uh, you know, Anthony and I have discussed about this on a prior podcast about the pros and cons or why the NCAA decided to do an early signing day, uh, like a month in advance during bowl practice uh, time. And that's also we're going to discuss that with uh, USC, how that affects USC and some of the other coaches. But, you know, Anthony, I just don't think this early signing period is a good thing. Um, I don't think it's necessary, but, you know, I guess we'll figure out. I guess the NCAA is going to figure out, too, uh, how this system works and what are the pros and cons of it. But uh, I just don't think it helps anything or anybody. You know, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I think in the past I've kind of agreed with you. Um, I'm sort of... Uh, Turning towards the other end of the spectrum. Oh, really? Um, only okay. because, yeah, only because you know, I'm I'm generally just really annoyed by the waxing and waning of these recruits at times. Okay. Uh, you know, they're kind of going back and forth, constant, uh, you know, decommitting and then decommitting that happens in the last couple months before uh, signing day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, I guess if kids want to get locked in, I don't know that it makes much difference. You know, if, if they were committed uh, enough to stay committed until February. And I'll tell you what, too. I think I think it's good for the kids from this standpoint. The, the recruiting is kind of exhausting. Yeah. It's, it's really tiring. Sure. You know? I can see that. I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the going all over the place, taking your trips, your officials, your unofficials, mm-hmm. all that, you know. I took two trips and I was tired. (laughs) (laughs) I committed on my second trip and I was like, I'm done. Mm. Um, But yeah, you know, so I think from that standpoint, uh, it's it's good for these kids who are able to just kind of get it out of the way and get it done if they know where they want to be, you know? Okay. Well, I mean, on the other spectrum, and uh, I guess we'll go into this. We'll we'll kind of talk about the USC side. Um, USC traditionally a closer on signing day. Uh, unfortunately, that did not happen this year. But you know, Coach Helton was interviewed about the the horrible, horrible class that was coming in for 2020, and basically kind of hinted that. The early recruiting it really was hard on the coaching staff because we have a bowl game to prepare for. 
which may may or may not be a reasonable excuse or argument. But uh, you know, it is. It definitely does feel like it's a lot on a coach's plate to have to try to get these kids in while they're also trying to figure out how to prepare for a bowl game. Um, and there's been some criticism. We'll talk about this when we talk about the preview of the, of our bowl games coming up. That USC really has not been preparing for our upcoming Holiday Bowl against Iowa. And that's simply because our coaches have been hitting the recruiting trail. So they can't be at two places at once. And that's also kind of been an excuse from Coach Helton that that's the reason why they can't really practice either because they're busy trying to recruit. So, you know, again, it's it's still in its infancy, just like the training, the, the transfer portal. And it's very possible that there could be some kinks uh, ironed out in the future. It's very possible that five years from now, we won't have an early signing day anymore. So it's, it's definitely stuff that uh, it will be interesting to see how the NCAA deals with it and, you know, what, what, what comes out of this kind of a science experiment. But, uh, but you know, let's uh, – I don't want – I want – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant a lot about the USC class. So I don't want to start off with USC first. We'll start with UCLA. But just a little preview. It's not good, USC fans. Our, our, our recruiting class for 2020, though it's small, is not good. Not good at all. But – if you're a UCLA fan, you guys kind of came in with a with a pretty group, uh, pretty good crop of kids. So why don't we uh, why don't we talk about that, Anthony? And uh, you don't have to go through everybody in the class, but maybe pick and choose a couple of stars that you feel may may even start contributing right away in their freshman year. Uh, out of Riverside City College. 
and he's a guy who I'm actually really excited to see. He's one of these body beautiful, long, lean, and strong uh, types. You know, he's got he's got some history of being able to play with his hand in the dirt, but obviously he had six three two twenty. He'll he'll be coming from a linebacker position and rushing the passer, and he's a guy who's got all of those athletic tools that you look for at the position. He's a guy who I think can probably come in, and and if he's not vying for a starting position right away, at the very least, he's going to contribute um, almost immediately. Um, another guy uh, to keep in uh, keep in mind going forward is, let me see, uh, Parker McQuarrie, who's a quarterback. <laughs> he's a guy I think uh, is, is intriguing, you know, um, just in terms of the tools that he has. Reminds you quite a bit of the kid up there in Oregon uh, with a six foot seven, two hundred eight pound frame. Um, this is the number nine pro quarterback by rivals, um, number one quarter, uh, number one prospect in the state of New Hampshire, which I'm not saying I'm not sure to say much. But, <laughs> um, obviously, is <laughs> a guy who's got a ton of upside and 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 looks like a definite player going forward. Um, uh, Pick out a couple of others. Um, kicker was one position that UCLA had to had to prioritize as well in the offseason. Um, and I know it's not a sexy position, but I think you know we can both attest that uh, it's extremely necessary. Oh yeah, definitely, you know? definitely, it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the kid, uh, putting an emphasis on the kicking game, brought in Luke Akers, who is considered the number six kicker in the country. Uh, and is the number 29 prospect in the entire state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad state for football, so to be among the top 30 recruits in that state, that, that's, uh, that's pretty big time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he, he, I think, is another guy who's going to obviously come in and, and vie for a starting position um, at kicker um, and, and should uh, bring some stability to the, to the position going forward. Um, funny enough, this recruiting class was very light on um, on, on linemen on both sides of the ball. Mm. As a matter of fact, you know, I know that I mentioned that a couple of these guys are listed at defensive end, but are, are actually linebacker types. Uh, but we did bring in two uh, offensive linemen, um, but they're both very obviously um, developmental types. With Patrick Selma. He comes at 6'5", 247, which is extremely light for an offensive lineman, obviously. And, um, and then you also have, I'm scrolling up, um, Bruno Fina, who's also a 6'4", 240-pound offensive lineman. So both of these guys obviously have to spend some time at training table in, in the weight room, putting some weight on, and uh, in, in should be contributors down the line. Um, I don't mind bringing in guys like that. I've seen guys who come in light like that and then bring a great element of athleticism to the position once they've put on some size. So I think, uh, you know, if, if Chip Kelly's thinking down the line about how these guys can contribute to the team, um, obviously they're not guys that you're looking to contribute right away. Though I will say, um, Duke Clemens came in and started most of the season for UCLA, uh, playing in about the 260-pound range. And playing extremely well, uh, a lot better than what you'd expect from a kid that young and that light. Um, so you never know. You know, these guys could easily uh, put on another uh, 20 pounds before they come in and, and possibly contribute. But I think uh, ideally they still uh, have some time to develop. Uh, and lastly, the last guy I'll mention, Logan Boyer, who uh, I think was one of our, our big turnaround recruits in the month of October when UCLA started to ratchet up to the recruiting class. Uh, he's a wide receiver out of Garden Grove, California, uh, from St. Bosco. Uh, we're all familiar with that school. He's yep. got a lot of prospects every year. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's a guy, I think he, he reminds a lot of Kyle Phillips, uh, not just because he's white. <laughs> that, that sort of scatter, you know, slot receiver type who I think can play outside, inside, can line up all in place, can be a, a good, reliable receiver quick and can make plays for you in the passing game. So I think these guys can come in and contribute right away. So, you know, that kind of just rounds up these recruiting classes in terms of what it looks like right now. Like you said before, though, you know, you, you, recruiting isn't done by any means. Right. You know, signing the official part of the um, signing day is still in February. 
UCLA still has some recruits that's working over there. Some guys who have committed to UCLA have not signed yet. These are mm. the guys who have signed their letter of uh, intent. Got it. So I think, uh, you know, right now it's, it's shaping up to a top 30 class. Um, and, and, you know, we could sneak into that top 25 when all is said and done, which would be a really good turnaround and a good trend for, for UCLA and Chip Kelly both with the struggles that we've had in recruiting over the last couple of years. Right. And especially if uh, memory serves me right, one of the big criteria is you felt that uh, Coach Kelly's job was kind of on the line for was recruiting. And so with what you see, Anthony, so far, do you feel this is kind of securing Coach Kelly's uh, job, or do you think there needs to still be more? No, no. I, listen, I don't, I don't want to sound arrogant, but, you know, as a guy who's part of, a, a, you know, a, the number one recruiting class in the country, <laughs> I mean, you know, Coming in my my freshman year at UCLA, sure. Look, I know I know what UCLA is capable of doing in recruiting. Mm. Uh, you know, Jim Mora. You know, with it being his first time ever coaching on the college level, was able to pull in top fifteen at the very least classes year in and year out. Right. And even had a top three class one year that included the likes of Eddie Vanderbilt and Kenny Clark. You know, <laughs> so you know UCLA is capable of pulling in recruits. So, you know how I am. I don't think that this is the greatest metric in the world for measuring right. success. Sure. And I don't, I don't put a ton of stock in the star ratings and all those things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we need players. And, and I'm more about the numbers than I am the, the star ratings. You mm-hmm. know, I think that we need to be bringing in a lot of guys, guys who fit our scheme and and, and a good mix of guys who can contribute immediately, and then also guys who can redshirt and develop and, and become senior leaders down the line, you know? So, um, you know, I like the number 17 at this point, and I think if we can get this recruiting class with 20-plus players and, and, you know, with the, with the qual- look of quality that this, this uh, group has, I think that this is a good sign going forward. Do I think we need to do more? Always, always, mm. look. This doesn't match up to Clemson's class. This doesn't match up to Alabama's class. Those are just facts, right. you know? And, and it plays out on the field, you know? Not only do they bring in the, the five-star, four-star guys year and year out, but their classes are huge, you know? Yeah. And, and, they, and they, they, not only that, but they bring in guys who can develop. Yeah, mm-hmm. they bring in a lot of guys who play as freshmen right away, but they bring in a lot of guys who sit, wait, wait their turn, and play, you know? Uh, players, juniors, and seniors, and redshirt guys. So if, if that's what you need, that's, that's what you need for the long-term haul uh, for your football program. You need to have guys who can come in and develop and aren't going to jump ship, you know? And so if that's what we need to see. You know, I'm glad Chip Kelly is able to bring these guys in. Can he get them to stick around as well? Yeah, yeah, that's true. You guys had a lot of turnover the last two years, so you're 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 absolutely right. All right, so moving from the uh, the the optimistic future of UCLA to now the complete opposite spectrum of pessimistic doom and gloom for USC. <laughs> Here we go. So, uh, USC's class, uh, nowhere near top 25, top 30. It finished with a ranking of number 75, bottom of the Pac-12. And granted, uh, it's a small class. It's uh, This one is only right now at 11. Uh, that was kind of expectable because, fortunately... If you look at it on the other side, there's not a lot of seniors uh, or upperclassmen in USC currently. Uh, not a lot of kids are thinking about jumping early. Um, maybe one or two might. Uh, the big, bigger question is who might go into the transfer portals. There is some rumblings about that, but we're not losing a lot of a lot of cla- a lot of member a lot of players. So this class is very small. That's understandable. Unfortunately, the the talent and there's nothing knocking these eleven individuals. Um, I'm pretty sure these eleven individuals are are great players. I mean, you have to be to be recruited by any 
uh, any uh, Division One uh, NCAA Division One school, especially a, a school like USC. You know, it's it's you just can't be just a body. You have to be something. So, and you know, but unfortunately, and I know as much as Anthony hates the star rating system, this is the lowest ranking class in the history since the uh, services of ranking recruits have been instilled in the modern era. So I think it started like 95, 94. So in that time, this has been the lowest that USC has ever been. And it's it's very surprising. It's very surprising. And the one thing that USC has kind of always been reliable for is closing big at the end. Uh, the biggest uh, year I remember is when on the very last day, on actual signing day, before there was an early signing day period, we had at the last minute Juju Smith, Dory Jackson, and a couple of other names just signed right at the last minute. Like These were guys that really a lot of people did not think were going to go to USC, and USC was able to close them. Uh, there were uh, two prospects for this year that some people thought we were going to get. One of them, uh, we already kind of lost, but it was Bryce Young, who was our quarterback uh, during the summer and beginning of the year. He was uh, one of the number he was one of the top quarterback prospects in this class, uh, the number two ranked in California. Unfortunately, he decommitted during the year, and now, of course, he's going to Alabama. Surprise, surprise. Uh, another guy that USC was kind of looking for, and there was a lot of optimism, was Justin Flo, linebacker from Upland High School, uh, 6'2", 225, ranked number three in California. And at the very last minute, Justin Flo announced that he was going to actually go to Oregon. So USC missed out on that. Uh, especially after there was all this talk when there are photos that were circulated via social media of Justin Flo uh, giving the victory symbol uh, with uh, Carol Folt, new president of USC, all smiles and everything, decked out USC gear. Everybody thought, that was it. We got Justin Flo. Nope. So, yeah, USC, on a day that people were hoping, USC fans, that USC would close big, missed horrendously. And also shocking, and uh, I might uh, pick your brain on this too, Anthony. USC, who used to have a stronghold over California, missed, or at least right now, has missed on the top 25 kids in California in the 2020 class. They have nobody committed from that top 25. I already mentioned two of them that they completely missed on. The number two player, Bryce Young. The number three player, Justin Flo. There is a lot of a lot of rumors that Gary Bryan Jr., the number seven ranked uh, kid in California, a wide receiver from Centennial High School, 5'10", 164 pounds, is pretty much going to go to USC. He is not committing early. He's waiting until signing day. But there's a lot of optimism that he will sign with USC. Uh, there's also a uh, number 19 ranked kid in California, Jack Yeri, who's a tight end, six foot six, 249 pounds from Moretta Valley, who's also kind of big on SC. But with the way that SC kind of, you know, uses their tight ends, which we don't use them at all, I don't know if Jack Yeri, who's a four star tight end, wants to come to USC. But it says something when USC, who used to be the dominant school in California, it does not have one player from the top 25 in this in this incoming class. It really says a lot. And also, now I want to pick your brain on this, Anthony, what your thoughts are on this. Of those top 25, 10 of them are not going to the Pac-12. They've committed, and they're going to other schools outside of the Pac-12. Of those 25, only 9 of them are going to Pac-12 schools. Six of them are still undecided. So nine out of the top 25, or at least nine out of the top 19 that are committed are only going to the Pac-12. That says a lot, I think, about the, 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 the condition and situation of not only USC, but the Pac-12 in general. What do you, what do you think about that, Anthony? Um, 
the um, recent history of the Pac-12 success in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that tells you almost everything you need to know. You know, how many years? How many years since the inception of the playoffs has the Pac-12 been locked out now? Uh, it's maybe three, but we've only had like out of the. I think the playoffs have only been around for maybe six of those years, and we've only had two. Yeah, only two times have we had like a representative, I think, and that was Oregon, both. So, oh no, Oregon and Washington, Oregon and Washington. Yeah. So, you know, look, you know, these kids want to win, right? And, and, and if, there's, if there's one reason to go somewhere, that should be it. It's because you think you can go there, you think you can be part of something special, and you can win. And look, you know, the Pac-12, you know, for whatever reason, has not been able to generate the amount of success you need in order to bring in the level of talent that's needed to continue with it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what to attribute that to, mm-hmm. you know, because, look, the Pac-12 has had some, some good recruiting classes yeah. over the last several years. Yeah. Sure. You know? Now, this is obviously a really, really bad year for USC in terms of recruiting. Mm-hmm. But um, even under Helton, the last several years, they've had really good recruiting classes. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, you know, and it's funny, you know, it's, it's some of these... It's, it's the Utah and the Washington states, you know, and the Oregon states. Those are the schools that kind of, in the Arizona, uh, even Arizona states, who, who generally don't generate top 25 classes, but right. put good field on teams on the field because, you know, they're able to develop guys and, and, and you know, turn out players. And then they usually have that, that one Jaden Daniels type player who's like the gem of the class and comes in and plays right away and, and does really well. Right. You know, those are generally the types of classes. And that seems to be the case across the board now for the Pac-12. It, it, it is very telling that, you know, California being the hub, of, really the hub of the Pac-12. Right. Just in, terms, in terms of, and if, if I'm being frank, really the hub of, you know, all of America in terms of, you know, being able to generate talent. Look, so many schools in the South turn out great talent. And Texas turns out great talent. You know, Florida turns out great talent. Nobody does it like California. Ah, nobody, I agree. Nobody turns out talent, athletic talent like you in California. And, and so I think it comes down to a couple of things. One, like I said, these, these kids, they want to win. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to go to winning programs and that's enticing. And, you know, I think, um, I, I think, I don't think that'll last forever though because, you know, a lot of these kids are gravitating to really one place. And, and, you know, like, I, I couldn't understand why a guy like Justin Fields goes to Georgia, you know, <laughs> and, and there's two other quarterbacks who have started as true freshmen, you know, and, and one of them, and, and neither of them is older than, you know, on both of them are loose juniors, mm-hmm. you know, so a lot of these, you know, there's a lot of that happening, and I like competition as much as anybody, but I would think that you go and play, and, you know, I think that's the enticement of the Pac-12 right now. Like, if you're, if you're talented, you know, and, and you want to play, this is the conference to come do it, <laughs> you know. But, um, you know, like I said, these guys, these kids want to win. You know, these programs, you know, a lot of these programs are putting a lot of money into their, into their programs and into their facilities, and that's enticing. You know, Texas, man, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, videos of their, what they got going on over here in terms of facilities, but it's it's nuts. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> You know, I know schools in the Pac-12 are no slides, and UCLA is certainly coming up in that regard. And, you know, schools like Oregon can compete with anybody, but all I'm saying is the board is, is, is very even right now. And, you know, these kids want to go out and play and, and be part of something that's established. And I think the Pac-12 has to start winning before, uh, before we start seeing these kids gravitate back to the conference again. You know, um, now how that pertains to USC, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I'm kind of stunned to see USC in this position. I can't think of a time I've ever seen USC outside of the, uh, outside of the top 25. Mm-hmm. I don't think since I've since since I was on campus at UCLA, I don't think I've ever seen USC out of the top 25. In yeah. No. I've hard time thinking of them ever being outside outside the top 15. Yeah. No, it's 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 really really sad. 
Uh, to be honest, I feel, and there's a lot of theories of to why these things are happening, and it's it's very much like you said, the winning culture speaks volumes. Remember last year, USC five and seven missed the Bulls, um, were horrible. This year, kind of bounced back, but had a very slow start, three and three. Uh, all year, Coach Helton was on the hot seat. He was on the hot seat the entire year, last year. A uh, new regime coming in. There's a lot of rumors that he wasn't staying. So, you know, recruits, pro- you know, hear this stuff. And it's kind of understandable where some recruits are wary about going to a school where the coaching staff may not be that coaching staff anymore. I mean, you face that situation yourself. So it's 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 kind of understandable. But here's where I'm going to circle back to what you mentioned before, Anthony, about uh, winning. It's nice that you won today, but, you know, you'd rather win on the field. Uh, Coach Helton was interviewed about this incoming class and how low it was and the misses that they had on this day. And Helton's response was, well, I'd rather be winning on Saturdays than winning today. So, you know, he, 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 in his mind, and he kind of has the same thought as you, Anthony, he doesn't believe in the star system. He believes that the, the kids that they got are the kids that fit their system best. And, you know, it's a small class, but they they have the right kids. They pick the right kids for what they want. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I think it's all coach speak. Yeah, he, he, he does not have a history of just signing system kids. Right. He, he goes out and he, he brings in whatever. And we talked about kind of the, the mismatch of players that you see at, UC, at USC. Yeah. Yeah, I think they bring in who? Just bring in the top of Chris. Yeah. No, and then they try to see and they try to see if they can fit into their system or not. And that's where yeah. it misses. That Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And... And what bugs me a lot about this is, you know, one of the things that athletic director Mike Bone was saying was that, man, we have a shot at having a great, great recruiting class. Man, you don't know crap. Or you bought a lot of crap from Coach Helton if he sold you on that. You know, because this is a horrible class. I'm, I'm sorry, again, no disrespect to these kids. Um, I'm pretty sure they're all great kids, and I'm going to go into a little details of some of them that that could that could stand out. And again, yes, granted, last year or this this past season, we did have a few kids that completely uh, kicked out their coverage. Keaton Slovis is specifically one of them. Unheralded quarterback. I think he was only a three-star quarterback. Got, goes on to being thrown into a situation that nobody thought was going to happen and ends up having the best year of a true freshman start at quarterback in the history of USC. But that's an anomaly. And again, as you mentioned before, Anthony, USC is so used to having top-notch talent. And it's always been a no- – oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, 
Oh, Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews. Clay mm-hmm. Matthews. You know, two-star recruit. Yeah. 160-pound safety. Sure. Comes in, physically develops, and he looks. And you look at him, you're like, no, that guy was, he had to be five stars, right? Right. You know, so yeah, it all evens out. And sure. I remember a couple of years ago, we had we had that Super Bowl where there was not a single former number called five-star recruit. Uh, on yeah, you're right. you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So, you know, it, the star ratings, they're fine. Okay. You know, I, I think, yeah, they tell you who can possibly, who looks great out on the field and who's body beautiful and can possibly come in and play as a true freshman. Doesn't necessarily tell you he's going to be great in three to four years from now. Sure. You know? Um, so, I, you know, where health is concerned, I, I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I suppose you know there's something to that. Sure. Listen, I don't think it's necessarily the quality of kids that you have coming in that's that's bringing your recruiting number down. I think it's that number eleven more than anything else. Okay. So you, know, you so um, you kind of agree. So you kind of agree with Helton that it's a small class, and that's why the the averages brings it down because just yeah, absolutely. it's small. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Small classes are always going to be ranked. Are, are going to be lower. Sure, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, I wonder if some people are looking at that situation and telling themselves, like, look, there's not a great, you know, if I'm a quarterback, I'm sure not going to USC. Yeah. You, know, you got a kid who's a true freshman. True. And yeah, that's Columbus that's true. Probably, yeah, Clayton Clemens is good as he is, you know, physically, probably even a three year guy. He looks like a four year guy, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, I think that, you know, if you're looking at the landscape and, and understanding what you're walking into, then that might affect your decision about whether or not you go to school like USC. But, you know, I think that February will be uh, uh, big for USC. Yeah, no, it's still on your um, radar. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that, again, is another thing that Coach Helton was really big on mentioning that recruiting isn't done yet. They, They still have the official signing day, February 5th. And... You know, last year we actually did uh, start the early signing period as a as a bad class too. One of our lowest, uh, up to that point, the lowest recruiting class in the history of USC. But then you had the transfer portal of Brew McCoy and and Chris Steele that bumped up our class considerably. So we actually ended up twentieth, which uh, you know is still low for USC, but for what it was facing at one point was not so good to you know finishing kind of strong and and for sure the way this class is with the way that this there are still some spots open i'm sure usc is taking into account the transfer portal and the possibility of maybe picking up a few much needed players to fit in but again my concern is and this is something that we've talked about numerous times already coach helton is not the kind of coach and his staff is not the kind of staff that can take, you know, your your three-star, your not-so-developed players right out of the box and develop them into star players, you know. Uh, the coaches that can do that are the ones in Oregon, the ones in, in Washington, the ones in Utah, you know, Whittingham can take, you know, quote-unquote subpar players and turn them into amazing amazing players you know that's why utah has been so good you know with and never really uh kind of tilt the scales on the recruiting days you know but i just feel usc now kind of facing the same situation because this class technically is you know again no disrespect technically a utah class it's a washington state class it's an arizona class but 
we don't have the coaches that can turn that into something, or at least in my opinion, we don't. So I'm kind of concerned about what we're going to do with this class, you know, and if this repeats itself the following year, you know, it's, it's one thing to maybe have one bad class and we'll make it up. But if this trend continues and kids still don't want to come to SC, especially from California, it's uh, it's it's gonna be telling. And you know that Helton's still gonna be the hot seat this coming year, um, and you know that things are still gonna be iffy. USC opens up with Alabama. There is a lot of potential for this year, this coming year, to be really, really bad, <laughs> and recruits may not want to go <laughs> to SC. So. But anyways, uh, let's take a little bit more closer look at the class. The class, like I said before, is 11. And like you said, Anthony, with your class, how there's a, you know, there's a, a kind of a theme running in your class with the linebackers. There is definitely a theme with our class. Of the 11 players, nine of them are linemen, six offensive linemen, three defensive linemen. Uh, we have one lonely wide receiver, Joshua Jackson, which no surprise because we took like a bazillion of them last year. Um, I'm kind of surprised we got Joshua Jackson this year. He's the lone wide receiver so far. And then, hey, we have a kicker too. We have Parker Lewis, which if you're a, a kid of the 80s, is actually kind of a funny name because there was a show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. So you know our generation is totally going to be playing on that name. So Parker Lewis, a kicker out of Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, comes into the class as well. And then the rest of them are all linemen. Now – Unfortunately, uh, this crop of linemen, you know, uh, again, is not the strongest crop of linemen. Uh, this year in general was not a very strong crop of linemen from California. And so we kind of – that's, again, why we've kind of been kind of low with this class. A lot of three stars. The one bright star so far of this class is Jonah Monheim. Offensive lineman from Moore Park, uh, six foot four, two hundred eighty pounds, four star linebacker, uh, four star offensive lineman. Right now, he's kind of looked as the future left tackle for USC. Now, whether or not he can start right out of the off the box uh, as the left tackle, that remains to be seen. But there's a lot of hype on this kid that he could be something. If developed correctly, um, another kid that's getting a lot of hype is Kobe Pepe, which is an amazing name. Kobe Pepe, uh, from uh, he's a defensive tackle from St. John Bosco. We know that school, high school. Uh, six foot three, two hundred seventy pounds. He's an early enroll, early enrollee, so he's gonna have a good uh, jump on the rest of the class. We only have three early enrollees. It's uh, Kobe, uh, Joshua Jackson, and Parker Lewis. Oddly enough, are kickers an early enrollee. Everybody else is coming in into the fall. So Kobe, Kobe uh, Pepe is gonna be a guy that a lot of people, you know, he might start turning some heads as well. So those are names to look out for. Another. Another guy, just to kind of get an honorable mention, is Tuli Tulipoloto. Uh, why he's getting an honorable mention is because he's actually the younger brother of Solomon Tulipoloto of USC right now. He's a defensive end, three star, six foot three, two hundred forty five pounds uh, from Lawndale High School, and uh, that's that's our class. So a lot of a lot of linemen, which we do need, but again. None of them that sounds like they're going to start right away. A lot of them that may need a couple years. And you know, Anthony, we've mentioned this before, that linemen specifically need kind of years to redshirt, to sit, to develop, to get bigger. Um, so probably not going to see a lot of these kids in 2020, with the exception of maybe Jonah Monheim, as I mentioned before. Um, and maybe uh, Kobe, Kobe Pepe, depending on what he does during spring. But uh, that's not a bad thing. That's not, not a bad, bad thing. thing. No, not a bad thing at all. I mean, again, if I was more confident in our coaching staff, and unfortunately, you know, especially this last year, our offensive line for running for the run game was horrendous. Pass protection, amazing. Run game could just not open up holes. But, you know, something that can maybe be worked on. We'll see. But, uh, you know, that, that is uh, the class for SC. And, again, not exactly great. Uh, definitely a miss for USC. But as Coach Helton said, and the one thing I can agree with him on, 
the recruiting is not done yet. Still have February 5th. Uh, still have the transfer portal. A lot of things could happen till now and the start of next year's season, which Anthony is, god damn it, is like seven months away from now. So we got a lot of time to wait. It's going to fly, though. No, hopefully it will. Hopefully it will. But before we get to that, and uh, as we wrap up this podcast, let's take a preview of what's going on with the bowl season for the Pac-12. Now, Anthony, uh, you know your UCLA Bruins did not make the bowl, but uh, there are other teams in the Pac-12 that did. <laughs> so we will talk about them very briefly, and there are some actually intriguing matchups. So starting the very first bowl game that we have, the Las Vegas Bowl, Saturday, this coming Saturday, December 21st, uh, number 19, Boise State, takes on Washington, 4.30 p.m. on ABC. Then, moving on to next week, Friday, December 27th, we have USC's Bowl. That is the Holiday Bowl. Number 22 USC takes on number 16 Iowa, uh, 5 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Then, uh, if you want, you can wait a couple of hours after that and you can watch the Cheez-It Bowl. Yes, that's right. We have a Cheez-It Bowl. Air Force takes on Washington State, 7.15 p.m. on ESPN. Then, Monday, December 30th, the Red Box Bowl, used to be known as the Emerald Bowl. Uh, Cal takes on Illinois, 1 p.m. on Fox. Then, Tuesday, uh, the Sun Bowl has the Tony the Tiger moniker to it now. So, it's actually the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Tuesday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, Florida State against Arizona State, which should actually be kind of an interesting game. 11 a.m. on CBS. And then, of course, you have the Alamo Bowl. Number 11, Utah, takes on Texas, which should be an interesting game simply because it'll be interesting to see what Texas does without their coaching staff. Uh, 4.30 p.m. on ESPN. And then the big one, the granddaddy of them all, New Year's Day, the Rose Bowl. Number 6, Oregon, takes on number 8, Wisconsin, 2 p.m. on ESPN. So uh, some interesting games, Anthony, with that one. Uh, I think the uh, the Oregon versus Wisconsin should be interesting. Wisconsin is a very tough team. Uh, I'm I'm hoping Oregon represents the pack well, but as we've seen in the past, when Oregon needs to needs to put up, uh, they tend to embarrass the Pac-12. But uh, you know, I, I do like that matchup though. Yeah. You know, you, Oregon. Oregon. Defense is for real. Sure. Oregon's got a really good defense. But, you know, a guy like Johnson Johnson Taylor, who I think is the best running back in the country, creates a lot of problems. So I like that matchup a lot. Sure. It's really the Boise State-Washington game I think that intrigues me the most. Right? I thought that was a pretty interesting matchup when they first announced that, too. I'm kind of intrigued by that. So yeah, yeah, and Washington's defense against that uh, offense, I think that that's an intriguing matchup. And it, it it really really depends on which Washington shows up. I mean, with now Coach right. Peterson retiring or moving to or whatever it is that he's doing right now, um, it, you know, the Washington that we were kind of hoping to see during this season kind of was there, then kind of not. Um, and now going against, like you said, a very a powerhouse. And Boise State has always been. That uh, that yeah. that uh, oh god, what did they used to call that? The uh, the 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 ranking buster or the BCS buster or something like that. Oh, yeah, 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 Remember, yeah, yeah. Boise uh-huh. State was that team year after year. Was always yeah, was always that that BCS buster team, Boise State. So you know, as much as I hate their stupid blue field. Um, they 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 were always a, a fun team to watch because they were the ultimate underdog team that always kind of beat the big teams. So so yeah, uh, again, some interesting games, some interesting bowls, and of course, bowl season was always fun, regardless if some teams don't always uh, don't always show up for the bowl games. Some players, this is their last time to play. You know. To play football. Um, unfortunately, the reality is not a lot of the kids move on. So for a lot of them, this is the end. And it's uh, and I think it's a great moment for for some of them to kind of make, to kind of catch their last glimpse of the spotlight in the bowl season. So 
So, all right. So, Anthony, right. we are wrapping up. Uh, for future schedule, we, we will probably go a little dark. Uh, not as dark as in, like, pessimistic as I've been for for this season of USC. But as in we're not going to be doing too much. We we might do um, a podcast for the actual signing day. Uh, depends on if there's any, like, big signings uh, going on. Uh, depends on what kind of news breaks out between UCLA and USC. You know, there's always some sort of news. Uh, if anything, just keep track of the SoCal Showdown Facebook page for any late-breaking news. Uh, we might do a podcast for spring practice because, you know, that that's technically still right around the corner. It's just a couple months away. And then, uh, you know, Anthony... Yeah, it sneaks up on you. And then, Anthony, hopefully, before you know it, we'll be talking about the 2020 college football season. And hopefully, hopefully it'll be a better season for both of our squads. So we'll see. But uh, anything you want to say before we sign off to our fans listening to the podcast? Um, no, you know, this was, uh, this was a fun season. Uh, even though you obviously we like to more success out there on the field but sure. it's definitely had some exciting moments and so it's a little bittersweet coming yeah I'm always a little a little relieved at the end of the season that I don't have to get up on Saturday morning and spend the vast majority of my day watching football obsessively <laughs> so the off season's a little bit of a reprieve for me but um, I know within you know a month or so after the bowl season is over we'll be hungry for it once again so, sure yeah, no, we probably won't be doing that. I mean, there's probably like one, you know, uh, Pittman's definitely going to go somewhere. But other than that, I mean, sure, sure. I, I, Kelly might be the one guy. I'm not sure if... Uh, uh, I think Darnay Holmes is still up in the air. I, I, I actually saw a report on him today. I'm gonna have to look into that. Okay. Um, and I saw something on the page. But, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So might be a while before we 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 talk publicly again. Yeah. This was a good, this was a fun season, man. Yeah. No. It's again. It had its ups and its downs. It was definitely a weird season. Uh, you know, UCLA's uh, slow start. Really slow start. Uh, to finishing up, you know, pretty decent. And then USC just, uh, ah, just it's like deja vu all over again and the coaching and everything. But uh, that's the fun of college football, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a love-hate relationship sometimes. Where, uh, but, uh, but you definitely can't wait for the next season. So it's, it's going to be exciting. So, so again, uh, Anthony, I want to thank you, as always, for being part of the SoCal Showdown podcast and the SoCal Showdown Facebook page. It's been a great year. And uh, you have yourselves a great holiday, a happy new year. And as for everybody that's listening to the podcast, you guys too. For my co-host, Anthony Fletcher, I'm Joshua Shibata. Have yourselves a happy holidays, a safe new year, and uh, we will talk to you guys next time.